All right, I want to talk to you about advancing. And if you, uh, if you know anything about Roman history, you know that March was the first, uh, the first month of their calendar year. Uh, this, this is it for them. When you hit March, you, you, you're launching into the new year. And the reason it was named March, it was named after Mars, the god, or the god of war. So their first calendar year was named after the god of war. And the Romans used it as a time to expand. Now, they believe that the sun never set on their kingdom. We all know uh, things a little bit better geographically now than they did. But they, did, they believe that the sun never set on their kingdom. But every March, they were looking for new territories to uh, conquer, to expand into, new kingdoms to conquer. Um, they were constantly adding to their empire, and they did it in the month of March. Now, in the spring, that wasn't unusual in that region. You might even recall in 2 Samuel, I think it's chapter 11, uh, at one point it says, um, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war. Do you remember that passage? And then it said, David stayed home. And you're like, dude, you were the king. You should have been going off to war. And he didn't, and he met Bathsheba, and that caused a whole other problem. How many know sometimes you'll face things you shouldn't face because you weren't doing what you were supposed to be doing? If David would have been leading the people into battle, he wouldn't have been there to face that moment. Anyway, that's a whole other sermon. So we know that in the spring, they went off to war. Uh, King Saul, most of us know about his rebellion. We know about the thing, but do you know that God did anoint him? God used him to expand the territory of Israel. They fought the Philistines. They won many battles. They didn't win all their battles. David became king after Saul. He continued to expand the territory of Israel, fight a lot of battles, didn't win all the battles. It wasn't until Solomon became king that we see that they had security on every one of their sides as they fortified the borders. I think what's interesting about Saul and David that lots of times they were trying to take back land that they had lost the year before. Um, the border towns with, with, with Philistine, lots of times the Philistines would focus on an area one year and conquer it and take it. And the next year the Israelites would come back. They were like, no, we're getting that back. And they would take it. How many would prefer not to live on the borders in these situations? Because really your house it was more of a timeshare. You, you had it one year and the Philistines had it the next year and you just hoped that they weren't too hard on the furniture while you were gone, right? And I think sometimes in our life, we refight for the same territory over and over and over again when the Lord's saying it is time to conquer that area, to fortify that battle, and actually expand into new places rather than being in the same fight. Now, we still believe that spring is the time that we should go off to war. It's kind of in our nature. I don't know if you know about it. Lowe's and Home Depot play on it. You'll start noticing the commercials and the music, boom, boom. Take back your garden. Bum, bum, bum. Hey, come and buy the mulch and expand your territory. Da, 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 right? It's like conquer it. Take out a credit line and use your, uh, your tax refund for your down payment. And let's take back the front lawn. All right? And it, they really are playing on that. We have an innate, we have this desire to conquer. And they kind of play on that. And I think that we need to really start learning what that means in the kingdom and how to operate in that in the kingdom. Look in Luke chapter 11, verse 31. It's a lot of talk, and we probably ought to get to some scripture. It says the queen of the south, who's also referred to as uh, Queen Sheba, if you've heard of her, the queen of the south will rise up with the men of this generation at the judgment and condemn them. Because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Luke 11 is an interesting moment in Jesus' ministry. 
There are people that are demonized. Did you know that God's word says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers? And we live in a culture where we don't want to think that there's, you know, dark side spiritual forces at work. And I know that there are disorders. I know sometimes there's mental challenges. I also think that sometimes when somebody's demonized, we label them with a disorder rather than give them deliverance. Because I want you to know the enemy isn't less involved in the fight today than he was 2,000 years ago. I also think it's interesting that there were times that people would come to Jesus and go, hey, can you help me out? My son's demonized. They actually could sense that. Isn't that wild? They didn't necessarily know Christ, but they knew that there was demonization within their family and they dealt with it. And we've got to be really open to the fact that this is a spiritual battle. We don't wage war against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers. We were given the armor of God for a reason. How many know you weren't given the armor of God to come sit in a church service? Right? I mean, we were given the armor of God because we're in spiritual war. And obviously, as Christians, we need that armor, or he wouldn't have told us to put it on. So we're given the armor for a reason, and Jesus was ministering, and he was ministering to people that were demonized. Now, I want you to know he wasn't doing this intuitively. This wasn't just because he sensed gut feeling that he should do it. Um, it wasn't necessarily research-driven either, but it was led by the Holy Spirit. Do you remember in the scriptures where it says that Jesus was led by the Spirit to go fast and pray for 40 days in the wilderness? Do you remember that? Why did Jesus go fast and pray for 40 days? The Spirit led him to do so. After the 40 days, he left the wilderness, and it said that he ministered in the power of the Spirit. I've shared this with you guys many times before, but you can't forget it. If Jesus did what he did because he was Jesus, you and I can't do what Jesus did. But if Jesus did what he did because he was full of the Holy Spirit, then we can do the same things that Jesus did. Jesus spent time in the wilderness learning how to be led of the Spirit so that everything that he did was of the Spirit. And then he came back and he ministered that way. So in Luke chapter 11, people that are demonized are being brought to Jesus. The Spirit is leading him to give them deliverance, to give them freedom. This was led of the Spirit. Now, some people begin to question him. And they're like, well, you know, it's just by Beelzebub, the old prince of devils, that he's driving out devils. Have you ever heard the verse, um, any kingdom divided against itself will not stand? Any household divided against itself will, will fall? It comes from this context. Jesus is basically looking at these guys going, wait a second. If you think I'm, I'm driving out devils because I'm the devil, then my kingdom's going to crumble. What good does it do me as the devil to drive out devils? This, this really, it gives us a little bit of thinking or it gives us some insight into the thinking of the religious leaders at the time. They couldn't deny that Jesus was doing things that were supernatural, that had the power uh, from, from the supernatural world. But they came to a point and they're like, they, they just so couldn't accept that he was the Messiah because he didn't look like what they thought the Messiah would look like. They're like, he's doing miracles, we can't deny it. <gasps> it must be of the devil. The very fact that they said it was of the devil confirms to us that Jesus was operating in the miraculous because they had to make a decision. Now, we know he's the Messiah. We know that he did what he did because he was full of the Holy Spirit, but they couldn't accept it. They had these lenses on. The Messiah must look this way, and because he didn't look the way they thought he should look, they couldn't believe, they couldn't accept. Now, this leads to something interesting. Have you ever, have you ever read about uh, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? 
And God's word says, Jesus even said it, every sin can be forgiven except the blaspheme of the Holy Spirit. That sin cannot be forgiven. I want you to know in the original Greek, there's actually two other sins that are listed that can't be forgiven. I don't know if you know this. I dug it out. First of all, you can't be forgiven for the blaspheme of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, you cannot be forgiven for being a Chicago Cubs fan. And thirdly, for being a Kansas Jayhawk fan. I don't know if you know that, but those were the two other things that were listed that are unforgivable. As your brother in the Lord, if you have anything in you that roots for the cubbies at all, I challenge you before, lay it down at the altar. If there's any part of you that says rock, chalk, Jayhawk, you've got to let that go. If, well, never mind, you're already going to hell because you can't even be forgiven for it anyway, so. <laughs> so. And the reason is being a Tiger fan means you live in perpetual hell anyway, all right? It's just the way it is, so. No, it wasn't these other things. It was the blaspheme of the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you, and we were honest earlier, you read, most of you raised your hands that you've been disappointed before, maybe disappointed in God before. How many of you, after asking Christ to come into your life, even had a moment where you're like, I wonder if I'm really forgiven or if I've already blasphemed the Holy Spirit? Is there anybody out there that ever wondered if you blasphemed the Holy Spirit? Come on, let's see those hands. Yeah, usually those of us that were brought up in church. Most of the people raising your hand, you're brought up in church, most of us. Um, because we heard about it, and we were told, you know, don't do it, or, you, you know, and I want to explain that, and take, I don't want to take the fear out of it, because it's a big deal, but I think we need to have a little better biblical understanding of it. Remember, Jesus said it in the context of as he was driving out demons, not to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. How many hate it when you're taken out of context? Have you ever said something and somebody quoted you and you're like, that's what I said, but that's not what I said, right? Yeah, you got the words right, but you do not get it right at all. Most husbands are aware of this while you're watching the game and you re-quote back what you heard and you got a portion of it right, but you completely missed the target of the context of the thing. Think about it this way. Jesus is driving out devils through the power of the Holy Spirit. People say to him, He's doing what he's doing through demonic power. And Jesus says, if you're blaspheming the Holy Spirit, you can't be forgiven. In other words, if the work of God that is in front of you, you're attributing it to the work of the devil, you're not going to be able to be forgiven because you're not turning to God for deliverance. You understand that when, when the Holy Spirit is involved in an action and we say, oh, that's satanic, <laughs> we literally are attributing the work of the Spirit to Satan. That's, you're not going to be forgiven. You can't be forgiven when you're claiming that what God is doing is what the devil is doing, right? But if your eyes are open and you're like, oh my goodness, Jesus is in the house. I want you to know, Jesus made that statement and yet Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee that was a part of the religious crowd, still came to him and said, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? Well, you need to be born again. Well, how do I do that? I'm a really grown man. I don't know if I can go back into my mom's womb. Can you? And this guy was still pursuing truth. He wanted to know the truth. He wanted to experience the truth. But people that are saying, no way, that that is taking place is demonic, they're missing out on the freedom that they could have in Christ Jesus. With that said, Jesus said, this generation kind of wicked. It's always asking for a sign. I'll give you two. First one is this, sign of Jonah. 
Now, there's one passage that we read that it says the sign of Jonah, just like Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, so the Son of Man will be in the belly of the earth for three days. Most of us know that one. In Luke 11, it doesn't say that. In Luke 11, he just said, I'll give you the sign of Jonah, just like Jonah was assigned to Nineveh, I'm assigned to you. Well, what does that even mean? I'm not sure, I'm not saying I have all the answer. Maybe part of it had to do with the fact that Jonah was in a whale for three days or a fish for three days. Maybe part of it was that Jonah went into a foreign city, a foreign land, as a missionary for the Father, and in one day a city was changed. He stepped out in one day a city. Even the king put on sackcloth. They even covered their animals with sackcloth. They were like, man, we need to repent. Perhaps God will deliver us. Now, I've told you before, and many of you know, the, Israel, the, excuse me, the Ninevites were worshiping Dagon, who was a fish god, right? He had the lower body of a man and the head of a fish. And if, they, if you worshiped fish and you saw a fish barf a dude on your beach, you'd be like, man, we got a word from God right now because we've been praying to the fish god and oh, out comes this man. So I'll guarantee you it opened access for Jonah to go right to the king and to give the message. You know, you've been worshiping the fish. I've actually got a message from the guy that created the fish. And in one day, a city was changed. Nothing's impossible for God, church. In one day, Nineveh was more wicked than O'Fallon's ever thought about being. And in one day, a city was changed. So Jesus says there's a sign of, there's a sign of Jonah I'm assigned to you. I have come from a different land. I've come from your heavenly home, and I am here, and everything can be changed in a moment. The next thing that he used as a sign was the queen of the south, if you were wondering if I was ever going to get there. The queen of the south, she's going to rise up, and she's going to condemn you because the queen, queen Sheba, when she heard about Solomon, his wealth, his wisdom, the expansion of the kingdom of Israel, she, she was like, I might be a queen, but I'm nothing compared to what's going on there. I need to go check this out for myself. And I don't know if you remember when she was getting ready to leave, she even said to Solomon, the reports I've heard about you aren't true. They're only half true because you're even smarter. <laughs> there's more blessing. There's more anointing. There's more favor than what I had heard about. It's, it's absolutely quite incredible. When I think about David, or excuse me, when I think about Jesus, I so often associate him with David. Uh, we know that, that um, Jesus is the son of David, and we've said before, how much, did, how much did God love David that he was willing to call Jesus the son of David, right? But Saul and David didn't fortify the territory the way that Solomon did. If you look back in Israel's history, those are still referred to as the golden years, the years that Solomon was in leadership, the years that he was the king, there was prosperity, there was peace, there was blessing, there was security, and yet one greater than Solomon is here. Jesus was wanting them to open their eyes to say, I can take territory and fortify the battle so that you don't lose it over and over again. He's doing this in the context of setting people from, uh, free from demonic stronghold. How do you know that when somebody's demonized, or they've got a demonic stronghold in their life, they need freedom, whether they're a Christian or not. <laughs> and I'm going to say that. They need freedom. In Ephesians chapter 4, and we don't have the verse, I'm just sharing it with you, Paul said to the church, in your anger, don't sin. 
Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry and don't give place to the devil or don't give the devil a foothold. In Ephesians chapter four, Paul was writing Christians. Paul wasn't writing non-Christians. He was writing Christ followers. He told Christ followers, don't give the devil a foothold in your life. Let me ask you this. Why would Paul tell us not to give the devil a foothold if we couldn't do it? My whole life, I was brought up in the church. God and Satan can't be in the same place. Listen, the very nature of the universe has already proven that to be false because God is always everywhere. So that means wherever Satan is, God's there because God's always everywhere. How about this? Do you know that in the book of Revelation and also in the book of Zechariah, it even says that Satan is in heaven constantly accusing God's people day and night. It's almost like there's a courtroom and God is the judge seated on the throne and Jesus is our advocate that's speaking on our behalf, but then there's this accuser that's constantly speaking against us. We see it in the book of Zechariah. The accuser is there and he's speaking against Zechariah and the Lord speaks and he says, hey, give Zechariah some clean clothes. He's like, was this man not a burning stick that I snatched from the fire? In other words, he's saying, you're not saying anything about him that I don't know. But I saved him. I rescued him. I pulled him out of that fire. Give him a clean turban, man. Give him a clean garment. Now, why would he give him a turban? Why did he even care about that? I don't know if you remember, but the priests were to wear turbans when they ministered, and they were to have a plaque on the front of it that said something. Do you remember? Holy to the Lord. Separate to the Lord. By the way, the word holy literally means separation. It's not just about I shouldn't do this or I should do that. It means to be separate. That priest was separate to the Lord. And they wore the turban. Then it had this holy to the Lord on their forehead. I think that's a great place to have it to remind us to take captive of every thought and to make it obedient to Christ. Come on now. If you're not holy in here, you're not going to be holy out there. It starts right here. It's changing our stinking thinking the way Joyce Meyer would say it. It starts right here being transformed by the renewing of our mind. It starts right here. And the Lord says, give Zechariah a clean turban. Give him new sandals. Give him a new outfit. And he basically looks at, well, he does. He looks at the enemy, and you know what he says to him? Bless you. He says, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. I love that. Do you know what Satan means in Hebrew? Accuser. Literally, it means accuser. Why do we call the devil the accuser? Because it's his name. So the accuser was in heaven accusing. That's what he does. Don't be surprised when he tells you what a loser you are. You can never be forgiven for that sin. You've fallen too many times. You were addicted to porn before. You're going to go back into it. They're gossiping about you just like you gossiped about them. You're going to hear accusations all the time. Take captive every thought. Make it obedient to Christ Jesus. Okay? Take back that territory. The Lord would not use Paul to remind us that you could give the devil a foothold if it wasn't possible for you to do it. Some of the ways that we do that, he even mentioned one of them, in your anger, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, don't give place to the devil. I'm gonna ask you, you don't have to raise your hands, how many of you have ever been so mad that you lost it? Wow, your hands went up. What a group. I mean... Have you ever lost it to the point that when you got it back, you're like, dear God, who was I? Okay. Thank you for your honesty. I've been there too. Um, 
Marriage will bring out the best in a person. That has nothing to do with what I was talking about. Marriage brings out the best in a person. Uh, no, it, I'm just being real with you. Those are dangerous moments for your spirit. God's word talks about, quote, a fit of rage. Have you ever had the fit of rage? I know that God's grace is huge. I know that his blood covering is amazing. That's why he says, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. I'm not saying that every time that you've lost it, a demon moved in. I am telling you that it's such a crucial area that the Lord says, don't let the sun go down on that. Deal with it. Because unconfessed sin opens the door for the enemy to get a foothold within your life. And anger is a way that he targets all of us, and he uses all the morons in the world to provoke it. How many would agree with me on that? It's not my fault, Father. It's their fault. Okay? And he understands that. Uh, let's see. I'm not preaching anything that I had. So, okay. Let me ask you some questions. Um, do you ever feel like you fight the same battle over and over again? You ever feel that way? Let, let me remind you, first of all, sometimes you're not. David defeated Goliath, but there were other battles where he faced relatives of Goliath. It's been said, and I, I don't know if I can prove it to be true, but just I, this part I can prove. Goliath had four brothers. And how many, how many stones did David take with him when he went to meet Goliath? He took five. And I've often wondered, was he ready in case the family came? That the Lord said, hey, you go ahead and have five stones so that you're ready. And, I, if, and I'm not saying I'm right, but I will say, you've already been given in your hand everything that you need for victory today, you've already got it. Because God would never send you into a battle not prepared and not ready. He had David ready, he has you ready. And when you get hit, blindsided, and I know you have been, we all have been. You're like, where did that come from? Well, we know ultimately where it came from, but you need to know you already have everything that you need to overcome that. So sometimes, yes, we do fight some of the same battles. Sometimes, no, it's not the same battle. It's just because you're continuing to advance, you're killing new, you're killing new giants that tried to come in. They're like, well, yeah, you took down that principality, but what about me? Well, if I took that one down in Jesus' name, get under my feet. Romans 16, 19, and 20 says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath our feet. Number two, um, let me ask you this. Have you ever went into the wilderness again? What do you mean by that, PB? Uh, King Saul wanted to kill David because he knew that God had placed his calling on David and his anointing on David's life. So David fled into the wilderness. He had about 300 guys that joined him. They travel around the wilderness um, David's seeking after God. God is using this season. But I want you to know it was a long season before he entered into Jerusalem. So Saul's dead. Israel's like, David, come and be our king. David moves into Jerusalem. He's leading the nation. He and his wives have a few children. One of them's name is Absalom. You remember that one? Absalom was thinking about himself. He got some of the other leaders together and said, hey, my dad shouldn't be king. I should be king. And they agreed. And they started marching toward Jerusalem, and David got word that his son was coming to kill him. How many of you have ever went through a hard time, and even your son wants to kill you? That's where David is. David fled not because he was afraid. 
but he fled because he was a good shepherd. He said, if I stay here, nobody in Jerusalem will be alive by morning. I want you to know, leaders, there are times that you move out of the target, not because you're afraid, but because ultimately you're protecting your people, okay? You do that because it's the right, thank you, Haley, if you could just pick that up. It's very distracting. So, pregnant women, and you know how it is. All right, so, that are having a little girl. Can you even believe it? David flees, Shimei, he's a Benjamite. Uh, how many of you know that sometimes when you go into the wilderness, there's people there to encourage you? Like Shimei the Benjamite that stood on the mountain when David passed by and he threw rocks at him. Get out, you scoundrel, you man of blood. God's taken the throne that you took from our father Saul and he's given it to your son to rule in your place. How many of you know you're like, well, thank you. Have you ever had a bad day and the first person you shared it with kicked you in the mouth? You're like, I was kind of hoping for a little encouragement, but I see you have the gift of discouragement. A Barnabas, you're not, right? And you kind of go through that. There are times, guys, that we face the wilderness and then we face the wilderness again. Doesn't mean we've done anything wrong. Just means that we're under attack. There's annual attacks. There's times that uh, we pull back when we should be advancing. My goodness, I didn't even get as far as I did in the first service. And I apologize in advance. Let's go to Romans chapter eight. Let's see if I can sum this up in about... 4.5. Uh, I probably should have started with verse 31. Many of you know what it says. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, verse 32, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Um, it is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? All right, I brought us into context. So he's given his son, if he's already given us his son, he's going to give us all things. God is the one that justifies us. Who is he that condemns? Look at what Paul says. He answers his own question. What does he say? No one. No one. Well, yeah, but I get condemned all the time. But who gives a rip? I mean, the enemy's a loser. It's in his DNA. Every demon that you face, loser is in their DNA. Jesus has already conquered them. He's already taken the keys to death, hell, and the grave and ascended to the right hand of the Father. Sorry, I didn't mean to preach my Easter message. He's already there. He's already victorious. And when the enemy reminds you of every mistake and every flip and every fail, who cares? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. I love what Paul says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble? Does trouble separate you from the love of Christ? No. How about hardship? No. Persecution? No. Famine? No. Nakedness? I hope not. How many of you had some of your best encounters with the Lord, like while you were taking a shower? You're like, I'm kind of embarrassed that you can see me right now, Father, but you probably could tell with my clothes on anyway, right? Danger or sword? I, want to, I, I do want to, I want to bring this up. We have a tendency that when we're going through a time of famine to go, does he love me? I don't have enough. He's promised to always take care of all my needs and I don't have enough. God, do you still love me? 
Lord, I'm being persecuted. I, this isn't fair. What I'm going through is not fair. This guy at work's getting promoted. He's sticking people in the back. He doesn't keep his word. He's not honest. I'm honest with people. I do my job, and I'm the one that, that my job's on the line. This isn't fair. Lord, do you care? Do you love me? Do you? We do that. We start judging the love of God based upon the difficulties or the successes of our circumstances. Paul's addressing it. He's like, nothing. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And he starts listing these things. Is it trouble, hardship, persecution, famine? No. And then he says, and in my opinion, and it might just be mine, but I love my opinion. In my opinion, he quotes a verse that I believe he was saying, you guys use this verse to prove that life's just going to suck. Excuse me. You're going to have struggles in life. For your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered to be sheep, to be slaughtered. He's like, you're partnering with this mentality that I don't know if, you know, I don't know if this moment is really the love of God and I'm just a sheep to be slaughtered. And he quotes Psalm 44, verse 2, when David was having a crisis. But look at the next verse. Look at verse 37. What's the first word of the verse? No. Which would refer back to the quote. We're all like sheep to be slaughtered. No. No. We're not like sheep to be slaughtered. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Even in the middle of famine, I'm more than a conqueror because it's not about overcoming the famine. It's about the fact that if the overcomer lives in me. Even in the middle of the persecution, it doesn't matter if I get out of the persecution. I'm victorious because he's in me. Even if I don't have enough clothes to wear, I'm already victorious because he's in me. In all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. And I am convinced that neither death nor life Listen, I know not everybody dies when I want them to die, but that death will never separate them from the love of God in Christ Jesus if they're in Christ Jesus. It just brings them right into his presence. Neither angels nor demons. No demon can keep you from the presence of God. The present or the future nor any powers nor height. How many of you are afraid of heights? Even if you go up there, Shannon, he's there. He's there. Height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I think the first thing that we have to partner with as we advance in the kingdom is recognizing that the momentary afflictions, the struggles, the challenges, none of them can do what the enemy wishes that they could do. And that is separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. It's been said, and I only can trust church historians to believe that this was true, the early church historians recorded that when Paul, in Rome, was being led to have his, the chopping block, literally, to have his head cut off because of his walk with the Lord, that as he was being led, that his friends that were close by could hear him saying as he was heading to that block, more than a conqueror, more than a conqueror, more than a conqueror. Because it didn't matter if they chopped his head off or not. Because as he told the Philippians in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, for to me, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. You take me from this life, guess what? 
it gets better. I'm more than a conqueror. And there's nothing that's going to separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. If you'll give me an amen, I'll, I'll dismiss you. That's pretty good agreement. Come on, let's stand together. I've got three more pages for this week's message. I just want you guys to know, Faith Chapel, I always come prepared. Um, it's not from lack of preparation. Sometimes I prepared it, and I'm like, boy, I don't know if I've got enough here to really get through, and we, we got through the introduction. So there you go. Um, I challenge you this week, do not, do not partner in mentality with the difficulties of your circumstances. Partner with the promises of God and the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, and he will carry you through them. I have no doubt. He will carry you through them. And I want you to know, as a, as a guy that's got to pray with people that have had deaf ears open and blind eyes open, and I've seen bones grow, and I've, I also want you to know, there's a lot of times I've been disappointed. I have. But I'm not disappointed in who he is. I'm not disappointed in his character, and I'm going to keep learning, and I'm going to keep contending until I see the things that his word says should happen. I'm going to keep contending till I get it. I want more. How about you? But God, more than I want signs and wonders and miracles, I want your presence. I know that one moment in your presence changes everything. And I ask in the name of Jesus that we would all encounter your presence. A word was spoken that we would dream dreams, we would have visions, that on the, the men's servants and the maid servants that we would prophesy. So I ask that you would do that for all of us, Lord. Encounter us so that we can encounter you all the more. I thank you for the men and women in this room. I thank you for the, their sensitivity to you and the love of God that they carry. And as they're walking out their sacred lives, their very missional lives, use them to bring this great gospel of the kingdom to everyone they come in contact with. And I pray when they face moments with rage, fits of rage and anger, God, would you remind them to deal with it quickly and not to give place to the evil one to guard themselves, to guard their heart. Now may God himself bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine on you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.